Have you two ever read the Apple term and conditions when you've opened your new oh iPhone? No, no. Get off my screen. <laughs> just go. Get off my screen. Yeah. And whatever you want, just go ahead and take it, whatever or not. And they're get like, out of my way and take my money. That's, All right. That's right. I'm trying right. to get to your app store. Yes, get out of here. Bro. So I wrote terms and agreement. Welcome to the No Fear podcast of First Presbyterian Church. My name is Bob Fuller, Senior Pastor of First Presbyterian Church in San Antonio, Texas, with your No Fear Word of the Day. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Bob Fuller, Senior Pastor of First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio, Texas, here with Alex Solorio and Alex Clary. That's right, one Bob, two Alexes, and 30 minutes of theology. And we're continuing our conversation about The Social Dilemma, that docudrama that was released by Netflix in September of 2020 about social media and its influence and perhaps manipulation of our lives. Regardless of the particular reasons, do you sometimes find yourself thinking that you are staring at your phone or other computerized screens more often than you truly want? And do you ever feel, even if you dare not speak this suspicion aloud, that your gadgets are manipulating you? We're picking up that conversation where we left off. Thanks for joining us again. I want to just, you know, be sure that we clarify to those listening we do not intend to come across as Pharisees or sit in our ivory tower. I have social media accounts. I know Solorio has social media accounts. Yeah, facts. Bob has some oh, yeah. presence I mean, online I, yeah, as well. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. I, I love YouTube. I use Facebook. Right. I mean, my MySpace page. All that. Kind of <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so we do that. not intend to speak down. This is we're really preaching to ourselves here. Yeah, because honestly. As I watch the social dilemma, as I read some of the resources that I have, it's convicting for me on a personal level mm-hmm. of the Lord speaking to me of. Think of the impact and the influence that you have, and think of what's impacting you and influencing you as well. Absolutely. Yeah, well, and, and that hit me a, a maybe six months ago, the first time I ever heard the, the expression influencer. Oh, yeah. The, yeah. the idea that, that you could, that social media influencer is a job, and, and, and it's not just the companies who can monetize this, it's you. I mean, you can actually have a career use, utilizing social media monetize that and live off of that. Yes. That's that's incredible to me. If you were to go to our student ministry on a Wednesday evening or Sunday morning and you ask them to name 10 celebrities, I would be very confident in making the claim that almost half of those students of the 10 they would name, at least three to five of them would be people whose full-time jobs and how they've attained their fame is strictly through being an influencer, not a movie star. Not a musician, not a famous hero, but someone whose full-time job is to be a social media presence that these students are aware of. It yep. is not some fringe idea where you'll make a couple bucks on the side. No. There are millionaires. This is real talk. That's who right. Who wake up every day and they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars that's and right. their only job is to work on social media. And our younger generation, that's who they look up to. That's right. Social media has moments where they can be like, go go do this service project or go over here or go over there. But again, be wise. Yeah. Have discernment to see and recognize, dude, I'm getting pushed in a direction. I'm treating 
my brothers and sisters come on a man i'm gonna touch on some <laughs> i'm gonna touch on some nerves right now i'm treating my brothers and sisters in christ that i affirm with them that jesus christ is lord jesus christ and savior yet i push them away because they're red or they're blue mm. they're this or they're that they have a different zip code they speak a different language they walk differently they talk differently so then you know what it's just easier if i just stick to where i'm comfortable and trust me when i tell you users trust me when i tell y'all around this table right now they have no problem keeping you in your silo. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They have no problem keeping you in your silo, making sure you are still the resource that they're stealing from and feeding you a bunch of whatever things you think you need. Yeah. Now, let me ask you this. We've talked a little bit about how it's influencing our social culture. We're talking about how it's influencing our economics. Um, is the church shaping social media or is social media shaping the church? Mm. Mm. I got to think about that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, seriously, I mean, are we, I mean, we have bought into tools of social media. Wow. You, know, um, how, you know, how how can you, how dangerous is it to swim in a riptide? <laughs> What's it's so interesting that you bring that up because I think it is – I don't think it's easily answered in, like, just one fashion. I think it is a two-way street. I think there's a way that the church can responsibly approach social media mm -hmm. and continue to be the church and all that it's called to be. I also think that the social media and the world will push back and push back hard, I might add. The fact that you think what you think or or we believe in what we believe. And I think there will be believers or the churches or groups that will change their very theology, change their very foundational principles of what they believe just so the culture can give them a like. And if we're being honest, we're seeing that right in front of our eyes every single day. That's the reason why, again, I don't know where, where I found this quote. I was telling Clary about it earlier while we were in the office. We have shifted from a – oh, actually, I saw this on a picture. I saw this on a picture on social media, and I follow this reformed uh, reformed uh, memes picture page, and it's like gives you really great quotes from C.S. Uh, Lewis, R.C. Sproul, like uh, Bonhoeffer and all these things. And so one of them was it talked about how we've moved from a culture – from saying when reading scripture or partaking in the church, it says we've moved from a culture from saying that convicts me, right? Lord, that is convicting and I want to work on it because I want to submit to you. So we've moved from a culture saying that convicts me to saying that offends me. Mm. And if it offends me, then Lord, you're wrong. The mm. word is wrong. The word is flawed. The church is flawed. Therefore, it's all wrong. And I'm just going to do my own thing whenever. Mm. We have shifted from a culture saying that convicts me to saying that offends me. And that's primarily wow. probably the issue as we're falling in the slippery slope of whether social media is influencing the church. Yeah, I wow. think I think one thing that's tough is, and I'm sure there are others that disagree with me, and I am not planting my flag in this, but I think especially for the ministry areas that Slorio and I serve, yeah, social media is almost a necessity. Need, you need to have it because that's a kid is not going to know about the email I send to their parents about a fellowship night we have coming up. But you better believe they're going to like the picture on Instagram. That's right. Or they're going to watch the Instagram story that I post. Mm -hmm. And it also helps us to where we can watch our kids. Kids are – it's amazing that kids are so much more 
willing to be vulnerable on an, a picture than mm. they are in a small group. Come on. And so we, Alex and I, we have to have social media. Yeah. That way we know what's going on with our students. Mm -hmm. Students share their anxieties on social media. Students will share their struggles with yes. grades. Sometimes they'll make it lighthearted and they'll put on these masks of humor to cover up their hurt. But I think that in youth ministry, in college ministry, in young adult ministry, social media is a necessity. Mm -hmm. That's how you reach those kids. Yeah. That's how you know what those kids are doing. However, if you make that a goal within your ministry for your social media presence, it can be dangerous and it can be a slippery slope. And with this trend in youth ministry to be as trendy and cool and captivating as possible, you can build programs, you can design events to look good on social media and not have any fruit. And so there, right. it is a two-way street. It is a double-edged sword. Yeah, it's it's like what Paul talks about is... I will not let this thing master me. Like, mm. I have the freedom to use it, but I will not let it master me. And I think that is a healthy approach to social media as a church of, we can use it. This podcast is being posted on a social media page, right. which can reach people. However, the moment First Presbyterian Church starts creating programs because we think, oh, this will look good in an Instagram post, mm. or this will get a lot of engagement on Facebook, that's where you've lost sight of the gospel. Yeah. Let me... Let me go ahead and say something about the movie itself. I want to make sure that everybody who's listening to this understands this is not uh, a video or a, a film that came out of Lifeway or came out of yes. of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. This this is not a a Christian film. I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that it is something that Christians shouldn't watch or anything like that. But it's 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 not coming from that perspective. It's not by evangelicals, by the Catholic Church, by by even the mainline liberal church. It is a secular film. Um, and so we need to we need to make sure that people aren't aren't just feeling like, well, we're just sort of paddling the canoe for our own side. This is something that really challenges all of us. Um, but I also want to push back and and I want to read a paragraph from a critique that I read of, of the movie and, and want to see how you all respond to this. Because you know maybe there's some truth in this too. It says that the social dilemma makes some important points about the way that social media works, and the insiders interviewed in the film bring a noteworthy perspective. Yet beyond the sad eyes, disturbing animations, and ominous music, the social dilemma is a piece of manipulative filmmaking on par with the social media platforms it critiques. While presenting itself as a clear-eyed expose of Silicon Valley, the film is ultimately a redemption tour for a gaggle of supposedly reformed techies wrapped in an account that is so desperate to appeal to quote-unquote both sides that it is unwilling to speak hard truths. The film warns that the social media companies are not your friends, and that is certainly true, but the social dilemma is not your friend either. So here's here's my critique of this critique and what worries me. It says that they aren't willing to speak the hard truths. I'm like, if these were not hard truths, what are the harder truths here? <laughs> it's like, yeah. what are they holding back on? Because I didn't feel like they really held back. Mm -mm. I mean, at one point they said, uh, uh, somebody along the way, or maybe just as something I just felt like they said, um, you know, it. You know, whereas in the past people were uh, they were selling products, now they're selling souls. Mm-hmm. I mean that's a pretty harsh critique in my opinion. But what do you, what's the what's the pushback here? Is there I mean is this a manipulative film and we're all getting sucked in by anti-social media mm. hysteria? 
You know, that's hard. It sounds like a very ad hominem paragraph in the sense <laughs> yeah. of discussing. I mean, and and granted, people. it's like in a, I read you one paragraph out of a, like, what is a 12 page review. Right. This guy was serious about it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would really go back to the motives of the social dilemma. You know, I, I would assume that the uh, organization that Tristan works for now is nonprofit. And I, I don't see what Netflix would get out of publishing a documentary that the fundamental message is you need to stop engaging with these things. Um, you know, was there some dramatic liberties taken in the documentary? Yes, there is an entire narrative that is interwoven with the interviews of a family and their struggles with social media. Um, a lot of it was truth, but there was a lot of, I think, exa exaggeration, especially with the teenage daughter of the family. Mm. So along with the interviews, it follows this family of five, and it kind of displays the characteristics or the symptoms of people addicted to social media. Um, I do think that there was some that was probably exaggerated, but you know, I think that this documentary shows something that we're just all so unaware of. I mean, one of the main messages is this is one of the fewest unregulated uh, industries in our country right mm -hmm. now. Um, you know, there's a lot of heavy regulation in transportation. There's a lot of heavy regulation in uh, monopolies and business ventures, but there are very few regulations for what people are doing with our data. And I mean, I appreciate the author's perspective, and I think that is a, a, a fair criticism of maybe the artistic liberties that are taken, but I don't see what these people who were interviewed would get out of it, mm -hmm. you know? I don't know. I mean, they all they all walked away from, or perhaps some of them were fired, but they were all in extremely lucrative careers. Right, I yeah. Mean, that's a, I mean, that would be a hard thing to walk away from. And I think it's telling that, you know, the CEO of these fast food companies – probably very rarely eat their food because they know how unhealthy it is for them. <laughs> I yeah. think it's showing that these people not only walk away from these social media companies, but they say, my family will not engage in them. Wow. Right. I think that shows, you know, you know what you're selling. You don't want to participate in it because you know the negative side effects. Yeah. I, I'm sure by now, the whoever, those that are listening and those who are on this table understand the, uh, the things that, first of all, A, the, and again, I want to talk about the social dilemma, but even the platform that the social dilemma is on, which is Netflix, pretty sure everybody's had several times or several thoughts right now. They'd be like, well, I've already unsubscribed to Netflix because of the whole cuties mm. video or movie that's been coming out. And mm -hmm. it's been on social media. People have been talking about like, again, like this, it's like a, pe people believe and, and, and rightfully so. I, I, I'm on the side. There's like completely inappropriate video or, or movie on um, children that are in this like what is it like cheerleading kind of like yeah, video something like that sweet. so it's yeah and so it's like it's on the line of like child pornography right so um i i i'm with you i appreciate the author's critique in in some sense um but again w when you take time like right now this is good this is healthy because at the no fear podcast we're going to continue to talk about theology we're gonna talk about books. We're gonna talk about. Uh, we're gonna talk about shows that are that are that are in today's time, right? But as we are approaching any of these things, you have to ask yourself: How much time am I putting into mm -hmm. understanding these narratives, or how far will I go down the rabbit hole? 
Because your rabbit hole might not be social media stuff. Your rabbit hole might be politics. Your rabbit hole might be the NCAA and the uses of college athletes and how the NCAA is getting money. Your rabbit hole might be food. Mm -hmm. Your rabbit hole might be theology. Whatever your rabbit hole is, it does not surprise me that, again, if there is an enemy that is out here to kill, to steal, and destroy, you better believe he's going to steal your time. Mm -hmm. So, in response to that, I think when we look at this video, which you should watch, uh, looking at having discernment about social media, which you should do, and regulating the time that you spend on an on-platform digital scape with the time that you should be having outside of a digital world, actually building relationships with one another, coming to actually know your children, know your son, know your daughter, know your mother, know your father, know your neighbor, right? Um, you need to have this sense of um, responsibility, which again, uh, social media and the digital world um, the hard part for them is because where do you place responsibility and who do you hold accountable when someone is exposed to something that they shouldn't have seen in the first place? Mm. So um, I know. Um, yes, absolutely. One one quote that really blew my mind. It's from this book, uh, Daniel Strange. It's entitled Plugged In, Connecting Your Faith with What You Watch, Read and Play. The forwards by Timothy Keller. He makes a quote in the introduction. He says there was an interview with the Netflix CEO several years ago. And they asked the CEO, what's Netflix's biggest competition? He said, it's not Hulu. It's not YouTube. It's not Disney Plus. It's sleep. If we can get people engaged with our product, oh our biggest competition is not other streaming services. It's humanity's need for sleep. Because wow. we, if I can get people to watch my content and prevent them from sleeping, that is more time that their eyes are on my screen. And that blew my mind and on the seventh day the lord what commands us to do what to rest to rest man 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 so let me conclude with one last question here and obviously we could just keep going on this this is an amazing topic and you guys are so thoughtful about this one of the questions that tristan harris asks in the movie how do you wake up from the matrix if you don't know you are in the matrix, mm. do people know that they are in the matrix with social, social media? Is there that awareness or is it in most people's perception, a benign neutral tool? Mm. Yeah. I think one of the best ways to wake up is to find things like the social dilemma that really open your eyes to it. Um, I've got two resources here. I just mentioned one plugged in. It's about how do you take your faith into our culture, into our media. Another uh, resource I have, which I really love, it's called Selfies by Craig Detweiler. He is a professor at the uh, Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. And both of these resources are about seeing the image of God in our media culture, is about seeing where the Lord is moving, but also... Um, informing people and making people aware of how these things not only shape us as people, but they shape our faith. Mm. Um, you know, yes, we've spent all this time on this podcast talking about how social media can impact 
our culture and our people, you, be, you better believe it impacts your theology too. Oh, one hundred percent. And so I, I strongly recommend. I think these are great companions to the social dilemma documentary of combining those three. They are pieces of media, but combining these three pieces of media together to help you become aware so you can wake up. So you can look at the screen time app on your phone and say, wow, I spent this amount of time on this app. I spent this amount of time staring at a YouTube video. Um, it really, it, it's convicting. It opens your heart. It opens your mind to how God can use these things, but also how you're used by them. And it really helps with time management. Alex? That's good. Um you know, what's interesting is you use the analogy and he used the analogy of the Matrix. If you actually look at that movie, if you actually watch that movie, which I did, uh, there's this key point for the main character, Neo, as Morpheus is sitting there. He's like, you have a choice to make. You have two pills. One pill, you go back to dreamland. You keep chasing. You go back to you go down the hole like Alice went to Wonderland. You chase the white rabbit and you'll never know we had this conversation. Or you take the blue pill and you're going to see and know things that you would have never understood. And what Neo does, of course, in the movie, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched it, it's been out forever. Uh, but <laughs> it's, it's only about 20 years old <laughs> yeah, at yeah. least. Uh, but the premise of it is Neo takes the red pill and what you start to see is the Matrix itself, itself goes after Neo to kill him. But the premise of it is a hope. A hope within Neo, which is going to be the one to bring about salvation from, which is interesting, the real world that's happening outside of the Matrix is a world flooded with technology and like this, this completely technolo technological world that has overtaken the world. And so again, like the premise of the Matrix is finding the one, a savior, to bring hope, to liberate humanity from its current predicament. Mm. Isn't it so interesting? What does that sound like? And what's interesting is that we as people, we are people that are looking for hope. And so you're absolutely right. Like, if you're in this matrix, what will wake you up? Well, the truth is, is if everybody's pursuing hope, then allow them, like, our hope, our hope as believers is that we are showing them and we're pointing them the way, that we are, we are, we are reflections of what Christ is teaching us, right? And if our job is to go out, again, Matthew Matthew 28, we're going out to all nations, you know, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them the things that they have taught you, like Jesus has taught us, right? Like, it goes back to that. Uh, so, yes, I think I think there is a sense of um, we're, we're kind of caught in this certain current situation, uh, there's just a certain truth of us being in a digital generation now. Uh, and the prayer that we have is we can continue to only ask the Lord, Lord, how do I live in this situation, in this circumstance, much like the generations before us had to deal with their situations, their circumstances, their trials, their tribulations. This is ours. And trust us. Tr like, don't trust me. Trust Scripture to know that the Lord will help navigate us through that. Bob, last thing I have to say is you gave a quote a couple weeks back, um, and again, it said, the, the saying goes, uh, it's South Carolina's motto, while I breathe, I hope. Amen. And that's just the pursuit. Like, I'm going to place my hope not in anything else in this world. And so, again, if 
for me, as I've had this Bible open this entire time, John 15, like, if the world hated you, know that they hated me first. I chose you, and I've called you, right? Christ is coming and saying, I love you, right? So that's, that's for me, uh, my moment of breaking the matrix, because the matrix chewed me up and spit me out, and the Lord healed me. So. Wow. I want to just close up with, with this thought. Um, you know, the question is kind of how, how do you wake up from the matrix? And I think that, I, th- I think one of the questions we have to ask ourselves, as, especially as the church, is are we showing people that there is something better than mm. the matrix, than the dopamine hit, than the, than the reliance on basing your identity on your likes or your affirmation or the seduction, the siren song of social media. And I think that it's not enough. And I think this may be one of the places where, where we trip as parents, as the church, is that we say this idol is bad, but we don't show people well enough what is better. Mm-hmm. Looking, at, looking at what Paul says in Man. Philippians chapter 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, Mm -hmm. that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Mm-hmm. What I love about that passage and what Paul says is it's not that God wants to take away something that makes people feel good and that makes people happy. It's that he wants to show them that that's nothing. It's loss. It's rubbish compared to the affirmation of what he gives. We want, you know, we want subscriptions. We want likes. We want boys, We want all that kind of stuff. Followers, exactly. And what God is saying is, my my love is worth more than the combined total of all affirmation that the world has to offer put together. Mm. And it's not that it's it's not so much that we're. I mean, I'm not saying following idols is no big deal. Obviously it is. But the reason that idols are a big deal is because they distract us from the true thing, Mm. from the real thing, which is Jesus Christ of surpassing worth. And, And I think that what awakens people from the matrix is when somebody awakens you. Mm -hmm. In, uh, in the matrix, the movie, Neo was awakened. That's right. Um, in Scripture, we find out that we are dead in trespasses and sins mm. until God, through Jesus Christ, through His Holy Spirit, quickens us, gives us life. And uh, that's right. And as Paul says in Romans, how are they to hear without someone to speak? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I sometimes think that, yes, we need to be on our guard. We need to, to have our spiritual warfare gear on uh, when it comes to social media. But we also need to have our hope gear on. As, as Alex Zeloria, you were saying, we have got to put forward the hope and the supremacy mm. of Jesus Christ, the, the, 
the betterness, the wow. worthiness, the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, because in that case, people will look at the at the the hollow and and uh, manipulative seduction of social media and say, "That's nothing. Mm. That's rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ." Mm. And I think that that's the only way we're ever going to see people really awaken from this is when they realize it's just not worth it. Yeah, it's just not worth it compared to what God gives me in Jesus Christ and what I'm giving up, the real life I'm giving up because of it. So, you know, that as I think about it, you know, that's sort of our answer to everything. The best way to turn people from sin is to turn them toward God and Jesus Christ. Right. We're always going to be empty mm. until we are filled with him. Mm. And whenever we try to fill a God-shaped hole with anything less, we will fail because only only an infinite God can fill a bottomless pit. And that's just where we need to head. Our hearts find no rest until they are found in you and you alone. That's right. As St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. Mm-hmm. That's good. All right. I think that this has been a powerful conversation. Thank you two guys for for educating me, for for helping me think through this important stuff, not only as a pastor, but especially as a dad, as a husband, as a friend. You all know so much more about this than I do, and it is really a privilege to sit at your feet and to, to get this education from you all today. So thank you very much. And I just look forward to our next conversation, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for joining us today here on the No Fear Podcast. My name is Bob Fuller, Senior Pastor of First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio, Texas, here with Alex Solorio and Alex Clary. That's right, one Bob, two Alexes, and 30 minutes of theology. During this crisis, take heart. The Lord is real. God loves you. He has the power to make a difference in your life. He has a plan and purpose for you. He has a position for you on His team and a place for you at His table. 